This morning we joined Paul on the run. He's the man on the run, um, as it was there in Thessalonica, and he was driven out, and he made his way to Berea. And if you remember that, he spoke the word of the gospel there, and and man, they have they run him out of there as well. Um, and so now he's come to one of the major cities in, in that world that day and time, the city of Athens. Um, he is there in Greece, and this is this. Uh, he's going to be amongst um, the elite of the elite. Intellectually, uh, philosophically, he's going to be sharing and interchanging with people um, that are, are helping set the stage and the scene, impacting us even today. A lot of our school of thought even today flows a lot from what was happening there in Athens. And so today we're going to encounter Paul as he proclaims the unknown God there in Athens in Acts chapter 17. So let's get to it this morning. I want to share with you, um, you see it there on the screen, those are uh, the Jordan number fives. I was about nine years old, fourth grade, and those puppies were it. And I wanted those bad boys, and I leveraged everything to get those for my birthday, and I will never forget it, right? Um, and you're maybe asking, why was that such a big deal? If you grew up with MJ, his airness, right? Um, if you look actually there on the screen, uh, that is the official letter. That's mine, for real, like still mint condition. It's still in the box. For real, um, at my parents' house, we took a picture of it, and uh, no, you can't have it, and no, you can't even see it. That's how elite this is, right? Um, so you had to have the Air Jordans. If you were in the club, uh, welcome to the Air Jordan Flight Club, it says, exclamation point. doesn't even say my name, really personal, right? But anyway, I was in there. I got a letter. Michael, he signed it. That's MJ's. Man, I would just take that thing out and look at it and like, oh, baby. Oh, it's MJ. And so I got my, my Air Jordan 5s, um, and I was ready to rock out to fourth grade. I'll never forget it. Got them, walk in, and the first day down the hall, I'm almost, I mean, it's like, it's not a gangster limp, but it's a limp. And it's not because I'm that cool, it's because they hurt that bad. And I'm like, okay, um, you just got to break these dudes in. That's, that's what it has to be. And so um, about six months later, I'm still trying to break in the Air Jordan 5s. And I'll never forget it. I was praising the Lord when my foot finally outgrew those bad boys, right? Why do you share that, Blake? Well, well two reasons. One is this. Um, some of you, um, you're there. You, you've been worshiping a God that you've created, and maybe it's yourself. And the reality is, I mean, you've puffed it up. You've built it up. You've praised it. You... you, uh, you You've glamorized it, but the brutal is the daily living of that is absolutely miserable for you. I mean, you're walking Air Jordans, steel toes, and you're like, this is sucking the life out of me. And so I want to let you know today that there's a God who's actually much greater than what you're trying to create your own. Paul's going to share that with us. Secondly, um, I want you to know that there's actually a connection to our text today, and we're going to get to that in just a moment of why I share this. And it's a pretty neat interaction. But as we do that, I want to share with you the first point, and it's this: a little bit of alliteration today. I'm not a big alliteration purpose but, person, but if you are, then maybe this will help you. Um, it's the preparation for proclamation. All right. And so today's text, sometimes um, as we walk through the biblical text, it's we got to like search a little bit more. Like, okay, how does that connect with me? Acts 16 to Athens, not that way. Literally, the text just applies to your life. I mean, this is one of those like, man, this just absolutely is like, this is like your old best pair of shoes. Um, this is like one of your favorite like um, snuggies that you and your, your special one get together in. I mean, this is, this is it. All right. This, this just fits everyday life. And so we're going to see how does Paul begin to prepare to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. So again, why, why did I share this example about the Nikes? Well, you heard the first, but here's the second. Watch what happens here. Now, while Paul, verse 16 of Acts 17, now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, all right, so there we have Paul in Athens. He's come there. His spirit is 
provoked within him. We're going to talk about that just for a moment. Why is it? Because he sees that this city is actually full of idols. There's idols everywhere. Guess what one of the idols that Paul would have seen? Right there, the temple of Athena. Guess who the temple of Athena is? It's the temple of Athena Nike. Did you know that? Nike actually means victory, and it's based upon this goddess that was worshipped there in Greece, okay? She is the goddess of war and also of wisdom, and she is victory. So Nike implies victory, right? That's actually what it means. So if you've ever repped some Nikes on your feet, um, or you've ever had that tatted on one of your shirts, or you've been a part of his Aranus fan club, then guess what? You're actually connected all the way back to Athens, Greece, and to one of the gods that would have been worshipped. In fact, she's the chief patron deity, right, that they would have worshipped there. Athens, right? That's her, Athena, Nike. So I wanted you to see that there's some real practical application. You and I are still impacted by Athena today. It has a major following. Nike is part of that. It's where they get their name from. But look at me further. Though. Watch what it says about Paul. He's there in Athens. And again, look what it says. His spirit is provoked about all those idols. Remember that he sees. Everywhere he looks, right? He begins to see there's idols, there's idols, there's idols. And Paul's beginning to get upset with that. It's maybe as if today you get up behind somebody at the traffic light and they have the opposing teams. I mean, they have like their like their big logo. It's all over the back glass of their vehicle. And like you, you get up behind them and like literally almost like it gets your blood boiling. Like, <sighs> how could people even cheer for that team? Right. And so the moment the light goes green, you hammer it, you get by them, then you get over to do the what? The death stare like. Oh, I feel so sorry for you and just hammer it right past them, right? We'll never fall somebody like that. Or maybe you pull up behind them and they have the Trump decal and you're like, who would ever follow that guy? Or maybe there's vote for Hillary or whatever. And you're like, what are those people? I mean, you, you've been there, right? You know what that feeling's like. You see those things that you don't like, you don't agree with. And you think, why would people even do that? That's where Paul is. Except his is a lot bigger scale than your political agenda and following or your affiliation to whatever school you're pulling for or team that you find that you follow. Paul is upset because he realizes that worshiping idols and false gods actually leads you to a place called hell. It says he's upset about it. He's provoked. He's agitated about it. He's experiencing what the prophet Jeremiah said in verse, 20, or verse 9 of Jeremiah 20. If I say I'll not mention him, or speak any more in His name. His Word is in my heart like a fire. He says, it's shut up in my bones. I'm weary of holding it in. Paul says, I feel like Jeremiah because indeed I cannot. I see this. I see the brokenness. I see people being so deceived, so led astray. I cannot be a part of this. This is not what I need to be doing. So look what Paul does. Instead of like getting upset and complaining about it, which is, I'll be honest, that's kind of my go-to. I'm kind of the passive-aggressive type. I'll smile to your face and then behind your back, I'm really like, Right? And that's probably one of the reasons why I don't have Facebook or Instagram. Um, I'm kind of quick-triggered. I'll be really honest with you. I struggle. I've got to really card myself when I'm competing in sports. I, I can... Uh, me and you, it can be on like Donkey Kong in two seconds, all right? Even big as Brian Thompson is, I would be like, oh, and then I'd be like, that was so stupid. I love you, Brian, please. Right? Um, anyway, I don't know. I just saw you talk, so I thought of that. But anyway, um, listen, Paul doesn't go grab Instagram, take a picture of the idols and say, idiots. Look what it says he does, verse 17. He begins to reason with them. He begins to share 
and begins to talk with them. And this is pretty cool, pretty amazing what he does. He begins to talk with them in the synagogue. We're not surprised by that because this is what Paul's been doing. He's been going to the synagogue, sharing with the Jewish people there. Other devout Greeks, uh, devout people are there. Um, but look what else happens with Paul. This is pretty cool. He shows up now at our um, Dollar General Market, right? So Paul's been sharing in the synagogue, and now he shows up at the Dollar General Market. And he begins to say, look what he does there. This is pretty cool. It says, this is what Paul's doing every day. Every day, Paul shows up, whether in the synagogue or the Dollar General Market or wherever he found his hometown IGA. Wherever Paul is, he says, hey, listen, if I'm at Five Star, I'm looking for people at Five Star. Whoever, look what it says. And you, maybe you're here and maybe you've wondered before, like, well, how do I know who to share with, Blake? Guess what? This is, this is like major theological revelation. right? Look what it says. And Paul began to share with those what? Who happened to be there? He says, listen, whoever's there, that's who I'm going to share with. I'm going to tell them the good news of Jesus Christ. So what's Paul sharing? Well, Paul is sharing, right? He's preaching Jesus and the resurrection, it says in verse 18. But the where of where we should share, Paul goes to the synagogue and he goes to the Dollar General Market. He goes, hey, listen, wherever I go. And there's people there and it's whoever happens to be there, that's who I'm sharing with. I don't know if you realize it or not, but literally that's one of the things uh, Brother Todd and I, I was going to say Paul and I, um, but Brother Todd and I, we're praying for you guys. We're praying, God, today, send our people to the people that you want them to encounter and send the people that you want them to encounter to them. Fill them with your spirit, give them boldness, and let them share the gospel. What's that mean? Paul says there's no by chance meetings. He says the person that you're standing across from at the pump is, is actually somebody that just, it, they happen to be there, and that's who I'm going to share with. When you think about that old classmate that you haven't seen in 40 years, there's a reason. God's at work maybe wanting you to pray for them or, or look, reach out to them. Paul's just living the gospel daily, guys. He says it's every day. This is what he is. Whether it's in the synagogue or whether it's out at the ballpark, Paul says whoever happens to be there, whoever ends up on our team this year, Right, whatever other grandparents show up, whatever aunts and uncles show up this year, that, that's who we're going to share with. That's who we're going to live the gospel around. Right, that's just part of what Paul is doing, the boys are doing. But part of the preparation also right, is understanding your audience. And so this is where it begins to start to step up a little bit. And So let's put our thinking caps on a moment. Look what it says, verse 18. Some of the Epicurean, okay, and the Stoics. So we have the Epicurean and the Stoic. And who are they? They're philosophers, all right? We're going to encounter some pretty intellectual people, all right? A little bit of background. Epicureans. Uh, there's a guy by the name of Epicurus. He lives about 340 to 270 B.C., all right? Um, he's a, a school of philosophy and thought. And so kind of one of the things that's maybe a little mantra is there's nothing to fear in God, nothing to feel in death. Good can be obtained. Pleasure can be obtained, right? And evil can be endured. It's kind of an Epicurean thought. Furthermore, the Stoics, um, they follow this guy named Zeno. He's 335, 263 B.C. Um, why are they called Stoics? Well, actually, they would sit out on the porches there in Athens, Athens. And the Greek word for portico is actually the word stoa, okay? And so they became Stoics. Why? Because it was thought they were sitting out on the porches and they were having this dialogue. What are they after? Well, Stoics are really after knowledge, Part of what the Stoic mind believes or, or perceives is that, guess what, emotions are, are really kind of evil and bad. Why is that? Because they say, hey, listen, life is a lot of stuff that you can't control. You can't control so much of what's happening here, what this person's doing here. So why do you get so upset about it? Why does that, like, ruin your day? 
So they would say, listen, you've got to learn to reason and to begin to push that emotion down and not let that control you. Some of that's healthy and good. But others of you, you've kind of, you've, you've kind of grasped that. You're kind of stoic in the way you go about things. You've pushed the emotion down so far that you and your spouse no longer have any kind of, any kind of communication. There's no emotion, no response in you. You're just kind of there, blah, everything's what... Because you've been through some really hard times or you've put yourself out there before and, man, you have been burnt in ways that you say, I'll never trust like that again. I won't let that happen to me again. The Stoics are kind of there and that's what they're kind of doing. And Paul's going to invite them and invite these Epicureans to come out to hear this gospel. And, and listen, I want you to see this. This is kind of a, a quote or a mantra from Epicurus, the guy who leads this school of thought. Look what he says. Is God willing to prevent evil but not able? Then he's not omnipotent. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, if God wants to actually stop evil but he's not strong enough to do it, then obviously there's not an all-powerful God. Secondly, he says, is he actually able? He's all-powerful but he's not willing. Then he's malevolent, right? He's saying, listen, he's, man, this, that's not a very good God, right? If he can stop evil but chooses not to, then... Who would want to follow God like that? Then he says, is he both able and willing? So he's got the power. He doesn't like evil. Then where's evil come from? Big question. What he says, is he neither able nor willing? He's not all powerful. He doesn't really desire it to stop evil. Then why call him God? There's some challenging schools of thought there, isn't it? What I want you to see is that there's some there's some really good answers and some challenges to this. The question of evil is a, a very challenging one. Very challenging one. But what I want you to see is is that Paul deal with difficult questions just like maybe you deal with. You've got friends that throw out some really difficult questions or people ask them really tough things at work or, hey, explain this to me or if God's so good, then why does this happen? Or, hey, explain this to me. I want you to see that Paul would have also encountered that school of thought, whether he was in the marketplace or as he's going to show up here just in a moment and begin to talk to the elite. So watch what happens here. Look what it says. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him and some said, what is this babbler Wish to say. Others says he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus in the resurrection. What's the word babbler mean? Well, it refers to a bird that would literally walk around and pick up seeds. They're saying Paul is this guy that's heard about these different schools of thought and reason and he's kind of basically pecked over here and pecked over here and he's got these bunch of schools of thought and he's kind of put it all together and he's trying to tell us something. I don't know about you, but have you ever had moments in your life where you've tried to share the gospel? Or maybe you just feel like you're one of those folks that every time you open up your mouth to tell somebody about Jesus, it's like, it's like, oh, that was such a mess. Mark it down. They're saying the same thing about Paul. And what's important here is what we don't read. And what we don't read is, is when they call Paul Babbler and say, you can't speak. You don't make any sense. You're stupid. That Jesus you're talking about, that's such a crutch. You're so weak. What we don't read in the text is Paul closing up shop and leaving. We don't read that. Paul doesn't close up shop. And so what I would compel you is, guess what? You're going to make a mess of things at times when you share the gospel. There's going to be times when you open your mouth and you're like, that's the dumbest thing ever to make any sense. They thought the same thing about Paul. And he kept sharing the gospel. 
Don't give up, brothers and sisters. Keep sharing the gospel. So then this brings us to our third point. Or our second point, sorry. The proposal for proclamation. Or literally, this is the invitation for proclamation. This is inviting Paul to say, hey, listen, Paul, we want to hear what you have to say. Right, Paul, you've been living it out every day. We hear you every day in the marketplace. Listen, I want you to come and share. And so now this is where Paul begins to step up. All right, this 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 is big boy, big girl stuff right here. Look what happens with Paul. You see the image there, all right? Watch what happens here. The text tells us in verse 19 of Acts 17. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. All right, what you see there is a picture of the Areopagus, all right, there in modern-day Greece. Maybe you've heard the Latin name of it, all right? The Latin name is called Mars Hill. I don't know if you've ever heard that before, but there's actually churches here in the Estados Unidos that are called Mars Hill, right? There's groups of churches. They carry that name. Why? Because they're pulling from where Paul would have been, right? That there, standing on this hill, speaking to the Areopagus, this elite company, all right? This is the thinkers of thinkers. Who is the Areopagus? They are the folks that in that day and time, they have the, the authority to make decisions on civil and also religious matters. All right? So these folks are going to make some big decisions about, hey, listen, we're going to let you keep sharing or no, we're not. We're going to affirm your God or we're going to say, listen, he can find his place amongst these gods. Or we're going to tell you no. But these guys right here are sharp. All right. So, again, these are people that are going to have very difficult questions. They spend all their time. The text is going to tell us. Let the text just unfold before us. So they bring him to the Areopagus saying, may we know. All right. This is kind of you're wondering. All right. How do I often know, Blake, when it's time for me to share the gospel? It's pretty practical. Look what it says. May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting, for you bring some strange things to our ears. Look what it says again, verse 20. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Why are they asking this? Now, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except, look what it says, telling or hearing something new. And why? Because he has a new teaching. So look, this is God opening the door. I don't know what it looks like for you. There's been times in my life where people have just come and said, hey, listen, would you tell me about Jesus? doesn't happen real often, but there's times where folks say, listen, I just need to hear about Jesus. Would you just tell me how to be saved? Right? So one of those things we, we've trained folks in, and if you're interested, to share Jesus without fear, right? You, you ask those spiritual questions like, do you have any spiritual beliefs? Who do you believe Jesus is, right? If you died today, uh, or do you believe in heaven or hell? If you died today, uh, where are you going? Right, and it, the last question, if what you believe is not true, would you want me to tell you? And then a lot of times folks say, yeah, absolutely, tell me. And then you start to share the gospel with them. It's one of, the, one of the ways in which we use it. But listen, there's times when folks just say, listen, tell me, I want to know. Tell me about eternal life. Tell me about God. I want to understand who is Jesus. Why is he so important? But there's other times when it's not nearly as apparent. It's when you walk to the drink machine and you see the lady there with the big knee brace and the crutches and you say... I don't know what that looks like for her, but I know what it looks like for me. And you start the conversation. What's going on with your knee? There's times when you're just around family or friends or co-workers. And they're in the midst of crisis. And things like this begin to come out. I don't know what I'm going to do if we get that news today the doctor. I'm not sure what I'm going to do like, if these finances don't change. I'm not sure what I'm going to do if, if she doesn't stop acting this way. I'm just not sure how much longer I can take it. I'm not sure what we're going to do if the scholarship doesn't come in or if they don't make that team or on and on and on and on. Guess what those are? Open doors. Just say, hey, listen, I don't know what's going to happen. I can't tell you. 
A lot of times, what's going to come next? I can't tell you what the doctor's going to say. I can't tell you about how all this relationship's going to work out. But I do know that in the midst of all your unknown, there's actually a knowable God who does know. And He's worthy of your trust. And I'm not telling you today that if you put your faith and trust in Him, that everything's going to change. But I want you to know that you desire to live on the mountaintop just like I do. Psalm 23, kind of picking up in your head. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house, what? Of the Lord forever. We all want the mountaintop, but you've got to walk through Psalm 23. And in Psalm 23, before you get to the mountain, there's the what? The valley of the shadow of death. Lo, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But you've got to tell them. You can't fear any evil. Why? For you are what? You're with me. You're with me. Their crisis is an opportunity for you to testify that God's been faithful to you in the valley. We've got to get some hands up, church. We've got to get some amens with our lives saying, This God who I know is worthy of your trust. I've been in valleys. It may not look exactly like your valley. I don't ever try to tell people I know what you're feeling. Even if it seems just exactly like what I've gone through, I don't say, I know exactly what that's like. I don't. Because I haven't lived their life. I don't know all the things about the relationship. I don't know all the back history. I don't know all their... I don't. But I say, I know what it felt like for me. And I want you to know that in the midst of times when I struggled and times when I've been faithless, there's a God who's still faithful. There's a God who still knows. There's a God, in fact, who... I sang this song as a kid. He's got the whole world in His hands. That's actually true. And this God is the God that Paul is going to proclaim to these folks here today, telling them, uh, Jeff Ork, he's the... He's the president of Golden Gate Seminary uh, out there in California. He says, listen, when you're living in a relationship, look for these four things. These four things, he says, these are opportunities, are open doors. People die. When people die, man, people are hurting. And, and sometimes it's for reasons you wouldn't think. It's not maybe because they have the best relationship with them. It's because they're dealing with all the turmoil now of, why weren't you ever there for me? Secondly, relationship struggle. And if you've been in a relationship, guess what? They struggle. They struggle. Yours may be struggling today. Thirdly, health fails. God humbled me greatly with my knee, man. He humbled me greatly. Still reminds me of it. When it hurts every day and I get up, He reminds me how weak I am. He says, don't ever forget it. So health fails. And fourthly, He says, things break. Our toys, the things we've leveraged for, to buy this, to get that, to go there... It becomes a disaster or it doesn't work anymore. It doesn't work out like we thought it would. Let them know in those moments there's a God that you know, that you follow, and He is worthy of their trust. So look what happens here. So verse 22 says, Paul, standing in the midst of the, area, uh, the Areopagus, he says, Men of Athens, I perceive in every way you are very religious. So look what he says to them. Hey, you guys, you're very religious. Why? I passed along in the objects of your worship. He says, I found an altar with even this inscription to the unknown what? To the unknown God. He says, listen, you guys are so religious. You worship all these gods. But you've even set aside a little altar to say, listen, if there's a God out there and we've missed you, we just want to say we're sorry. And this is, like, this is for you. This is for you. He says, hey, that, that's the God that I want to let you guys know about. And he begins to share the gospel with them. And look what he does. He says, you're very religious. Paul finds common ground. He said, Blake, how do I find common ground? Well, obviously, all those things we just kind of shared. But you've got common ground with people like crazy, right? I mean, if I just survey my life just for a moment, I'm a son. Anybody else here a son? Raise your hand. Right? Anybody else here a daughter? 
You're one or the other, okay? You are. You're one or the other. You've got connections. Other people are just the same, right? I'm married. I don't know if you're married or not, but maybe that's a connection. Maybe you have kids. Maybe you have grandkids like they do. Anybody here a little brother or sister? Come on. We all have some war stories, don't we? I use that. It's fine. We can find that pretty quick. Like, man, I'm telling you, dude, we're going to rise up someday, right? We're going to do it. And so it's a, it's a moment. Maybe you have a deceased parent. And so somebody else, their, their parent dies. And I can say, hey, listen, I don't know what you're going through, but I know this is what it felt like for me. Sports, right? Some of you are like, dude, shut up and get finished so we can go. Sports, there. Somebody just say yes. I'm going to pray for you. I don't know who that was, but I am praying for that person. Um, everybody need to move away from that section. All right. Um, anyway. Uh, <laughs> but listen, so sports are pretty big, aren't they? Let's, let's acknowledge that. Sports are pretty big. Um, and so that's an opportunity. Technology, food, weather. I mean, it just goes on and on. Local events, world events. So the problem isn't that we have connection problems with others, right? Just like Paul says, you guys are very religious. It's not the issue of connection. It's the reality you and I aren't sure necessarily how to start the conversation or we're terrified to do it. And Paul's going to show you and I maybe just an example right here in this, this final. We're going to kind of pick up the pace. What's the point of proclamation, right? So you, you've been sitting here and with Paul and, and he's been preparing to proclaim the gospel. We've seen the open door to say, hey, Paul, here, here's the invitation. Come tell us. Now, now, what's the point? Like, what are you actually sharing about? What are you talking about? Paul's going to share that with you and I. So let's look at it here. So he says, listen, you guys are very religious. You even got an altar to an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown. So Paul says, listen, the unknown. Hey, this is actually what I'm going to proclaim to you. This unknown God is actually knowable. And this makes the point of our proclamation clear. You and I are to be talking about God. But what's interesting is, is that Paul says, listen, I know the audience in which I speak. He, he understands the audience. I don't know if you understand your audience or not, but you need to begin to know about people. Why do they believe that certain way they do? If they follow a different religion, what's that religion believe, right? Begin to investigate, understand. Listen, they're the expert, right? I, I don't have to know every answer. So if I walk up and, I, and I'm talking to a Jehovah's Witness, I, I say, could you just tell me what you believe? What do you mean by afterlife? What's it mean for you? Like, who do you like believe Jesus is? Like, help me understand what you believe. So ask them. You don't have to know everything. Try to catch them in some kind of trap. Ask them. Be honest about it. That's what Paul's doing. He's he's there. Homer's Odyssey, uh, written about the eighth century BC, had a huge influence on Greek thought. Guess what it said? It says, "Listen, that the afterlife is just basically a shade of existence." They we're just shades of ourselves. The Epicureans, they didn't believe in any kind of afterlife. The Stoics said, listen, we're kind of like these immaterial souls and there's no real existence. And Paul's going to say, there is a real physical resurrection. It's going to create all kinds of tension. But Paul understands his audience. So no afterlife, all kinds of gods, live for the here and now. Sound familiar? Paul's on Mars Hill and you may be on Buckner Hill. But the truth is the same. Look what Paul does. He says, listen, guys. He starts out different, right? He doesn't immediately run to Jesus. He begins, verse 24, look what he tells them. There's a God who made the world and everything in it. He starts with the beginning. Now, scholars tell us that this would have been a major challenge with the Stoics amongst the audience of the Areopagus, these elite thinkers. Why? Because they believed in this natural law, that the world just kind of began like it's always been, and it just continues on. 
And like it just it just holds together by natural laws. There's no real I mean, there's no real way to think about this of that. It's just it's it's no beginning. It's eternal. It's just kind of existing. And Paul says, listen, I actually want you guys to know that there's a God who who made the world. He actually began this. There's actually a beginning and there's a God behind the beginning. And he begins to tell them the truth about it. And so, listen, I don't have time today. I'd love to go through a lot of creation and help you understand, explain. I don't have time today. But maybe you're interested in that. Maybe you're interested in help me understand, Blake, about creation. Help me understand about how, how can I explain and deal with some of the difficult challenges of it. A uh, guy here today, Mark Wells. Mark, you just raise your hand up. Look to your left there, Mark. Mark and I have been emailing a little bit back and forth. Mark's a really sharp guy, okay? I won't say much because I know he, he won't want to talk about him. But God's blessed him with a great mind. All right? And that's one of the things the church has. The church has folks from all different walks of life. You have a certain gift. He may have a certain gift. Guess what? God says he put us all together that we can be built up and strengthen our faith. So today, maybe you're here and you say, Blake, I'm really interested in creation and, and how it did. Help me understand and investigate and to be able to talk to evolutionists and others around me. Guess what? Talk to Mark. It'd be a great resource to point you to, to say, hey, I want to point you in some of these directions, or here's some things to think about. So, again, Paul's there talking to a world that would reject a lot of what he's saying. He says, there's a God who made the world and everything in it. And so there he is, and he's talking there at the Parthenon, and, and he's telling them all these things. And, and look what happens here. It's, it's pretty interesting. He says, listen, verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it, he's being Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in temples made by man. So, again... He's going directly against their chief patron deity. The temple of Athena, their great goddess that they worship. He's saying, listen, there's a God who's even bigger and greater than the God that you guys worship. And because, because He's Lord of heaven and earth there, look, He says He's Lord of heaven and earth, He can't fit in any temple that man can make. There's a God that's bigger than your imagination. There's a God bigger than anything that you can sculpt and create on your own. There's a God who is major and He is mighty and He does so many mighty things. And so look what happens. It would remind us of Exodus 20. In Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments, we we hear these words. He says, you shall have no other gods before me. Why does God say that? Look what He says, verse 5. For why? For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. God says, listen, and Paul's going to tell us in just a moment, he's going to say, listen, God, he's, he's, he's not living a temple made by human hands. He doesn't, in fact, need anything. He's self-sufficient in and of himself. But I want you to know this God is so great that, in fact, he created you and I, and he desires your worship. This God, he's greater than your idols. He's greater than your time, your money, your finances, all of those things. Look what God says. I want you to worship me. Why? Because those things take your attention off of me. The things that you're after today, the things that you're consumed by, the things you can't wait to get out here to go after and pursue. God says, listen, those things will distract you from me. They'll consume you. They'll distract you. He says, you were created to know and to love and to worship me. And so some of you, that's it. That's the actual box they came in. That's how big a fan I was. I kept the box, and that box right there holds some of my most valuable treasures. Baseball cards that I seriously leveraged a lot to get. Found a picture of an old girlfriend. Emily's not here today. Please don't tell her it was in there. Long since gone. 
Guys, the things that I most coveted growing up sit in a box that's worn out. And that's where some of you are. I mean, you've been such a big fan for so long and you've kept up... I mean, you've rocked that parade. You've led that banner. You've toasted that party. And dude, it's a box. And it's decaying and it's old. And the stuff in it ain't that important anyway. Others of you, that's what you're living for. You're living for all the treasures of this world. And I'm going to be really honest with you and break, just break your, 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 I don't know, your delusion. One day when you're gone, you know what they're going to do? They're going to come around your house, pick all that junk up, put it in one box, and somebody's going to buy it off a trailer at the auction for $20. The stuff you spent all your days working so hard for is somebody else's treasure for $20. I want you to know there's a God that's bigger than your box. He's unknowable, but in fact, He became knowable through His Son and through His Word. And He revealed Himself, the God that was invisible, actually put on flesh and came and lived among us. And look what Paul said. This is where I'm going to close today. He says, listen, He's not served by human hands as though He needed anything. Brace yourself for it. Paul just tells the most elite people in that day and time, God doesn't need you. Is that offensive to you this morning? Paul says God doesn't need anything, which would include me and you. He says, look, he gives life to all mankind. he's, he's, He's not served by human hands. God doesn't need you. And as offensive and hurtful as that is, let the sweetness now come. He doesn't need you or I. But yet in His love, because we were separated from Him in our sin, He sent forth His Son because He loves you and desires a relationship with you. The God who needs nothing loves you and wants a relationship with you so bad that what broke that fellowship, your sin, your rebellion, He brought a remedy, a solution through His Son on the cross. Your sin, your shame taken away that you could be restored, that you could spend eternity with a God who needs nothing but loves you infinitely, so much so that He would send His Son for you. So much greater than everything that's in your box today. It's so much bigger that won't fit in your box. That'll explode your box and your worldview. That you are loved beyond all imagination. Are we wicked beyond what we can describe or define? Absolutely. But at the same time, we are loved beyond what we could ever imagine or hope for because there's a God who needs nothing and yet would send His Son for us. And we're going to have to leave Paul there today. He's going to come and he's going to tell next week. And I can't wait. I hope and pray you'll be here if the Lord wills and we return. Man, there's some beautiful stuff getting ready to unfold. So I want to know today, do you know the unknowable God? As our musicians make their way this morning, this is the beauty of the gospel. A God who needs nothing, who made everything, would love you so much that even in the midst of your sin, He would send forth His Son to die for you. That you could be redeemed. That you could spend eternity with Him. The God who's got the whole world in His hands. He loves you. Guys, stop living for the stuff in the box. Quit trying to fake it with the new Jordans. They're long since gone. 
today. Stop for a moment and just breathe one last breath in and say, you don't need anything, but in your love you would still send forth your Son for me. What kind of... Who are you? Jesus would say, come and see. Come and see. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you, Lord. Father, I pray right now. Lord, as I looked through that box yesterday, God, and pulled out all those things that I had spent so much of my young childhood, God. Scorecards of golf. Baseball cards that I just had to have. Little memorabilia from places I'd been. God, it fits in a box. Lord, I was so consumed by those things. And I'll be honest, God, I still struggle. I'm still consumed by so much. Father, forgive us today for the things in the box. But not only forgive us, God, I pray you would give us a desire to change. To come know the unknowable God. The God who needs nothing. And yet in His love would still send His Son because He loves us that much. God, I pray right now you'll help me know you more. I pray the same for my brothers and sisters. Strengthen us now as we go out of here, God, to share from Mars Hill to Buckner Hill the truth of Jesus Christ and the hope of salvation in Him. It's in your name I pray, Lord. Amen.